I just want to thank you and God thank bless you. you. God bless you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. I, I like to hear those reports of when souls get saved. That's the, the main thing. And we're happy to be here and see so many of our friends around from different parts of the country. And this brother here is coming out to the city, I understand, this morning. At, his equipment's already unloaded here for a, for a great revival. Now, I certainly pray, brother, that he'll give you a great revival in many souls here in the city. And I'm glad this morning to see many of my minister friends, Brother Outlaw there. I just noticed him when I raised up from Phoenix. And I'm very happy to see you down here, Brother Brother Outlaw, you brethren from Jericho coming up here to Jerusalem to visit us. We're always happy to have him. I got that one off. Well, the brother William's not long ago up at Phoenix. You know, I said, Tucson, I live here now, you know, so I have to kind of hold up for this place, you see, up on the mountain here and look down to Jericho and see our brethren. We always... And Brother Carl was talking about so many coming a hundred miles from Phoenix down here. How many is here from Jeffersonville, Indiana, stand up? Mm. All around. Over here. Mm. That's about 2,100 miles. <laughs> oh, cool. So glad to be here and enjoy this wonderful inside sunshine. See, when they talk about this being the city of the sun, that's the outside, but all this inside sun. My, that's what I enjoy. I've been enjoying these blessings this week and pending the revival of Brother Bethany here over at the First Assemblies of God. And I certainly appreciate this gallant soldier of the cross, his fine preaching. It's been so much to me this week. I said, Brother Bethany and I have many things in common, especially the way we part our hair, Brother Bethany. <laughs> so <laughs> we can always recognize one another wherever we are. <laughs> so we are... Grateful for this opportunity to be here with Brother Tony. I can't say that name, and so I just call you Brother Tony. You excuse me. They call Peter, Peter, and Paul, Paul, and so this is Tony. I always tell them, just call me Brother Bill. That's what I, I like that name, Brother Bill, or Brother, anyhow, be associated with, with you to be a brother. Enjoy that breakfast. The only thing there was enough molasses. I, I, I run out. And I borrowed from my son and run out with him and borrowed from their brother and he had an extra plate and still I didn't have enough molasses. You know, I'm a Baptist. I don't believe in sprinkling. I like to really baptize. And I like plenty of, plenty of molasses. I got this sugar bowl and there's too much left in it. I had to sugar them up a little, you know. Remember down in the south, down in, I believe it was Alabama, when I was with the, the missionary Baptist people, I was down there holding a revival, and I was in a little old screened-in porch on the outside, and there was an old colored sister, she said, you know, I preached hard that night, and I couldn't hardly get up the next morning, and 
she called me, and I remember getting awake long enough here to say, Hey, Parson. She said, Honey, come on. I done cooked your flapjacks four times already. <laughs> four times she cooked them flapjacks. I, I like them. This is a little story I know. We're just cheering a fellowship, you know. The old brother Bosworth. How many ever know uh, Dr. Bosworth? He was a great old friend of mine. He said to me one time, he said, Brother Brandon, you know what fellowship is? And I said, I, I think so, Dunker. He said, there's two fellows in one ship. <laughs> and so that's the way that's close communion. Close, not close. <laughs> close communion with one another. Remember one day thinking about flapjacks. We call them flapjacks in the south, Brother Bethany. So we, um, I was on a little fishing trip up in northern New Hampshire. It's the home of them cutthroat and square-tail trout. And I had a little tin on my back. I'd pack back about a day and a half journey where all the soft-footed fellas couldn't get. So I was back there catching trout. Oh, what a time I was having. A little pup tent. And the day before, a little hole of water, all just fine big trout laying in there. And I was just catching them just as fast. And I'd catch one. If I killed it, then I'd take it and eat it. But ordinarily, I'd turn him moose if it didn't hurt him too bad. And I'd always catch my fly on a little bunch of moose willow behind me. And I thought next morning early, I'm going to take my axe and go down there and cut that moose willow down because I catch my little coachman in that, in that uh, moose willow. So I got up early and I thought, well, I might catch a trout or two for breakfast. And I was by myself and I took my little old axe and went down and cut down this little moose willow and caught me a couple of fish and on the road back and I heard a noise. It is an old sow bear. The place is full of them up there. It was a black bear. She had two cubs, and she got into my tent, and it tore it down. <laughs> there was nothing left. It, just, it isn't what they eat, it's what they destroy. They just hear anything rattle, and they jump on it. You know, the old stovepipe was beat up, and well, nothing to do but go back. And when the old sow mother bear saw me come up, she run off and cooed to her cubs, and one of them come. The other one didn't come. Well, I wonder why he didn't go. Well, I, I had an old rusty pistol laying there in the tent, but the bear was on the pistol. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't want to shoot the old bear anyhow and leave two orphans in the woods. So I, and I'm sure you take an old mother bear with some cubs, she'll actually scratch you. You know, <laughs> she, she kind of gets a little upset when you go to think you're going to bother those cubs. So this little fellow was sitting in just a young pot of a bear, looked be a, probably weighed 20 pounds, 15, 20 pounds, early. They'd just been out of hibernation a little while, and the little guy had his back turned to him. He's just all humped up like that. Well, I thought, what's that little fellow so interested in? And the old mother bear and the other little cub was out there, and she kept cooing to him, and he wouldn't pay a bit of attention to her. Well, I thought, what's the matter with that little fellow? I got me a tree where I could get into it. She got after me. So I thought, I've got to see what's got that little fellow so fascinated. Usually they'll run. So I kept moving around watching her till I got around sideways, and you'd be surprised what was happening. That little guy had got my bucket of molasses and a little half a gallon bucket full of molasses, and he got the lid off of it, and they love sweet anyhow, you know. And he didn't know how to drink it. 
So he just took his little paw and dipped it down in and licked like that when he brought it up. And he could, I hollered at him. I said, get out of there. And he turned, he couldn't get his eyes open, the lashes in his eyes, he was looking at him. And he sopped that bucket out just as clean as it could be. And I just stood laughing. Any time, then don't have a camera, you know, to get that picture. And there he was, and after he got through licking the, you know, the bucket out real good, he went over to the old mother and little brother, and they licked him. <laughs> so I thought that's like a good old Pentecostal meeting, when we get our hands in the honey jar, come up to the elbows, and then go out and tell somebody else, let them lick a while. <laughs> Just a licking good meeting, you know, that's what I thought that little bear was having. Now, there's no condemnation to him as long as he is licking molasses, you know. So that's the way we feel in a good old-fashioned meeting. There's no starks, there's no nothing but just simply set and lick, that's all. In the Bible, you know, the shepherd uh, carried a strip bag on his side. And uh, many times in there he would carry little bits of honey. And when he got a sheep that was sick, the shepherd would go over and squeeze out a little of this honey on a limestone rock. And the sheep liked something sweet too, you know, so he'd go over the sheep wouldn't go to licking on that rock. He's licking the honey. But while licking the honey, he got the limestone, and the limestone helped the healing. I've got a whole script bag for your honey, and I'm going to put it on that rock, Christ Jesus, and you sheep just start licking. <laughs> I'm sure it'll, it'll cure all of our ails if we'll just lick on the rock of ages, and he'll certainly take care of the rest. He is our healer of physical and spiritual discomforts. He is the lily of the valley. And in the lily we find opium, and opium settles all matters. It just puts you in a daze, and that's the way the Holy Ghost comes. It puts you in a carefree condition where you don't care who's sitting around and up there by it. you got to let off the steam. <laughs> that's it. Remember a little girl one time got uh, filled with the Holy Ghost? She was a little Methodist, too. And she was giving a testimony, and I never will forget the rude expression, no worse than what I make. And she said, well, I want to praise the Lord for this Holy Ghost. She said, if it's any better, I bust. <laughs> I like this uh, full gospel businessman, uh, convention, and meetings. And you know, I was ordained a few years ago about 35 years ago, in the Missionary Baptist Church. And there I tried to be a, a loyal minister to the gospel and to all that I know that was right for years. And then after the great vision came, and I'd never heard of such a thing as Pentecost, I heard them say there's a bunch of holy rollers downtown slobbering on the floor, everything. Well, I just never paid any attention to them. But when God called me, I come among them. And I have just seemed like that what was in my heart craving for something is just like fitting a glove on a cold hand. It's just the right thing. And I have really enjoyed it. When I come among the brethren, I found that among them it was like we Baptists. They were broke up in so many different organizations. My, they were all different kinds. 
and some of them was riding a one-hump camel, and some a two-hump, and some a three-hump, and some no humps at all. But you know, I thought, I won't join any certain group because I'd be identified just with that certain group, so I'll just stand between them and say we're brethren. I believe it was Jacob dug a well, and the Philistines run him away from it. Uh, best of my memory, call it malice or something. And then he dug another, and he said the Philistines run him away from it, so he called it strife. He dug another one, and he said there's room for us all. And that's what I believe, there's room for us all. Now, uh, I, the only thing that I've joined since I've been uh, in the full gospel move, I'm one of you. And uh, I think it's the closest thing to heaven that there is. If there's anything closer, I try to find it. But uh, this is what I found, and I like this. Now I'll stay with this till something better comes. Now I'm looking for something better to come. I like Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said, "This is that." Amen. And if this isn't that, then I'll keep this till that comes. Then <laughs> uh, just hold on to this because this is very good. And then I found out that this Christian businessman, full gospel businessman, was standing kindly in the same way, in the breach between the great, fine organizations of the churches, trying to, to bridge us something that was uh, uh, make fellowship, contending, not trying to break up any of their organizations or make all come into one, but just to bring a fellowship. And that's the reason I joined, and it's the only organization I belong to is this, this full gospel businessman, because it's, it's trying to do uh, what I think is, uh, would be a great service to God and His church, to bring a feeling among us that we're not separated. We are brothers, and uh, we all receive the same Holy Spirit. Now, God uh, give you the Holy Spirit, he give the next man the Holy Spirit, like the bunch of Branhams. I've got nine brothers, and there are tons of some fat and short, tall and slim, and I'm Mr. In-Between. So they uh, they different ones, some blonde-headed and some black-headed and some none at all. So I'm still Mr. In-Between. So, but in there, we, we are brothers. We used to get out in a and uh, backyard and fight one another, but when we got in the front yard and somebody jumped on a Branham, uh-oh, it was just too bad. <laughs> so that's the way I think we all should feel, you see. Sometimes God does things that we might not just seem just right in our eyes, but yet if it's God doing it, let's, let's say amen to it. God does it anyhow, see. And we are, are looking forward to a time, and a setting in uh, Brother Bethany's service last Sunday night preaching on the mark of the beast, and the man struck a keynote there that sent my soul thrilling. He said that just down the road there's something greater waiting, something on that order there, something that God's fixing to do. I believe it too. It'll wind this thing up and send the church into glory. How marvelous. Now let's not just be so slothful now that we'll remember God never changes his ways. He remains because his word, he is the word, and his word cannot fail. He's infinite. 
Therefore, if God makes a decision on something, it must ever remain that way. He can't go back and say, I was wrong. See, I can do that. You can do it. But God can't because he's infinite. See, his first decision is eternal. When God gave man the best fortification he could have for his, to bind him in or close him in, God gave man his word in the Garden of Eden, his word. And Eve made that rational, final, great, one of the most rational things she ever did or ever could have done was to reason with God's Word. We don't reason, we just believe it. Now, God has never appropriated anything else but believe His Word. That's right, His Word. We must stay behind it. Now, just a little drop here. You know, one day the Bible had foretold of a great coming prophet that was going to gather Israel together. And when he come, you know, he passed right through the people and they didn't know it. And then one day Jesus was speaking to his disciples, said, the Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem and so forth. They said, why did the scribes, otherwise the writers of the scriptures, why did the scribes say that Elias must first come and restore all things? He said, I say unto you, truly, Elias will first come, but I say that Elias has already come, and you didn't know it. See? He went right through. They didn't know it. Likewise, the Son of Man. They understood he spoke of John the Baptist. Now, see, he was just a crank down on the river somewhere, a wild man trying to drown people in water, so for the real strange message, but that was God's forerunner. And it went through and they didn't even know. Jesus came. I guess one third of the Jews never heard of John. I guess when Jesus on earth, not too many of the Jews, one hundredth of the population of the earth ever knew he was here. He's come and gone. The church, you Catholic people, as well as you try to claim St. Patrick, anybody who knows St. Patrick, he's not much Catholic, Roman Catholic as I am. So, but look, look at Joan of Arc, that sainted little girl who saw visions and so forth. What did you do? You burned her to the stake for a witch. She was gone before you know she was a saint, see? You know what? Wouldn't that be horrible? Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of some man wherein eight souls were saved by water. What if today the rapture came and you took two from Tucson and one from Phoenix and around the world as a universal rapture will be? And the ones that rises from the dead will go to meet him in the air and steal away a mysterious thing. And then one of these days judgment drops upon the earth. You say, well, was it supposed to be a rapture first? It's already come and you knew it not. Think how many people have disappeared in the world today, and there won't even be a word. You'll know nothing about it. There'll be 500 people in the world today will come up missing, and you won't know nothing about it. We're living in a terrific time. Let us have our lamps trimmed. I don't say it'll be that way. I'm saying, what if it was? Then the judgment strikes and the rapture's gone. He's already come, and you knew it not. So when we gather in these meetings, let's gather we for one purpose, that's to serve God. Let's put our lives to business. What good does it do us to impersonate something? Why would we accept a substitute when the 
Whole skies are full of genuine Pentecostal power and blessings. Why should we accept a substitute? You won't exhaust God's blessings. Ask abundantly. Could you imagine a little fish about half inch long out there in the middle of the ocean saying, I better drink of this water sparingly. I might run out. <laughs> now that sounds silly. Well, it's more sillier than that to think you could exhaust God's goodness. I looked at a while ago in honor to see that aged man, Carl Williams' father and mother, the first time I had the privilege of seeing them as a Noah, stand up and think about 80 years old, something like that, and how God has kept that old couple. It could look like Carl's brother, not his father. And Tony said his mother got out of the car out there and slammed the door and walked like a little soldier across the field. My, my. How good God has been to us. Now, if you're not a if you're not a member of this full gospel businessman, you man, as a Baptist, I speak to you Baptist. As a Methodist, I am a Methodist. And one time I was preaching down in Arkansas and I'd been an old man on crutches and he had been healed. He sold pencils out on the street and he was standing up that night and he's just taking the whole meeting. It's about Oh, I guess five or six thousand people gathered there at the Robinson Memorial Auditorium he, at Little Rock. He said, Praise God for healing me. <laughs> you couldn't hardly preach. And directly stood up and said, Hey, Brother Brandon, I wanted to say something to you. Now, he was just having a gastronomical jubilee all of his own. So he, he was just having him a good time. He had been healed, and that meant everything to him. And so he said, You know, it had to be he was a Nazarene. And he said, You know, I heard you speak, and I was sure you was a Nazarene. <laughs> he said, then he said, I also, he said, then I heard somebody say you was a Baptist. He said, and most of your people here is Pentecostal. I don't understand that. I said, well, that's very easy. I said, I'm a Pentecostal Nazarene Baptist. <laughs> I said, that's right. We are Christians. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood, looking for the coming of our Lord. Lord bless you. If you are a businessman or what more, let me say something to you. Come in. Come fellowship. Don't only just fellowship with a bunch of men you shake their hands, but get what they got. The Holy Spirit. That brings a real fellowship. You know, you can't manufacture nothing. You're not asked to manufacture anything. The church is not asked to produce or to manufacture fruit. You're to bear fruit. See? You couldn't say to a sheep, manufacture wool. Just let him become a sheep and he'll bear wool. That's what the trouble it is. We try to manufacture something. Don't manufacture it. Be, just get the inside right. Could you imagine a blackbird sitting up there and putting peacock feathers in his wings and saying, See, I'm a peacock? He's trying to put something in it never grown from the inside out. And we're finding too much of that among our Pentecostal groups. Let's be real, genuine, born-again Pentecostals. I say now, it's the only thing that I've ever found this side of heaven that give me the assurance that my sins are gone, and I am born of the Spirit of God. Then you have something, an anchor in you that holds. Well, I 
It ain't take so much of your time. I know you got to go. I'm kind of one of these long-winded fellows. It takes me about an hour to get started, and then I preach about two hours, and then it takes me about three hours to get stopped. And I thought, I'm not going to be that radical this morning. So we appreciate your coming. And I'm living here in Tucson now. You're in good old Jerusalem, and I'll be down with time too, Brother Tony, if the Lord willing to help around and attend all y'all's revivals. To you minister, brothers. I never come here to build no church. I come here to help what's already built, to put in my pool to everything that I can to help you, brethren, to win souls here in Tucson. Never to start a meeting nowhere, unless it's a cooperative meeting or something, that we could get together. I never come to start no church, no sir. We got plenty of them. What we need is to pack them out with born-again Christians. Yes, sir. So I'm here to put my shoulders to the wheel and help in every way that I can. And every word that I can, and every door that's open, to give the testimony of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the filling of His Spirit that's kept me all these years. Now, lots of times I seen Tony a while ago said, I have to write down, Brother Branham, what I wanted to say. So do I. You know, when you get kind of old, you don't think of just like you used to. Someone said the other day, said, Brother Branham, how old are you? No, I said, I past 25. <laughs> I must. I said, I passed it the second time. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm no more kid. That's the reason we part our hair in the middle, brother. That's right. That's right. Well, everybody love the Lord? Oh, wonderful. Now, let's lay aside every little weight and every little care now. And I wonder if it wouldn't inconvenience too much now, but we've been sitting a long time, if we could just stand just a moment for prayer. And now, while you're standing, I'm going to read a chapter or a verse out of the Bible, while you listen attentively, if you will. I'm going to read from the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, beginning with the fourteenth verse of the third chapter. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased in good, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in fire. Thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I give to set 
grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I have also overcome and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. With our heads bowed and our hearts, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank Thee this morning, our gracious and noble God, that brought again the Lord Jesus from the dead and has presented him to us this morning in the form of the Holy Spirit, that's wooing our hearts as for a close walk with him, that as we see the day drawing to a close, the day of time is soon fading out now into eternity. We're nearing the shores. We can hear the breakers. Oh, God, this is the dangerous hour as we read here. This last church age, the Lady Osea, where that we're nearing the shore and the riches and things of this world has blinded the eyes of the people. Oh, we pray, God, that our anchor will catch a hold of the rock of ages and wait for the dawn. Grant it, Lord. Bless this move of God called the full gospel businessman's chapter. We pray that you'll bless this certain chapter here at Tucson. May it grow until this Ramada will have to take down these walls and spread its tent to hold the born-again Christians that will come in. Granted, bless the brother that's coming with the revival, with the tent to the city. May it be an instrument to help bring in souls to these churches and, and to the kingdom of God. Bless Brother Bethany up at the First Assembly as he carries on his great work up there for the kingdom of God, Lord. How we pray that you'll continue with him and with the churches throughout the country. Now, as we wait upon thee, may the Holy Spirit give us the interpretation and bring the context of the text to light. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Did you ever stop to think just a moment that this could be our last time ever meeting together? Do you know there may be some of us here, if we come back again the next meeting day, we be some of us missing? We don't know what will happen. And then this may be our last time to sit in a group like this and associate and eat together on this earth. But remember, there is coming a time where we'll meet again. At the, not, at a, not at a breakfast, but at a supper. Oh, where the great banquet of God and the marriage of the Lamb and the great uh, chairs are stretched from sky to sky and the redeemed of all ages set across the table from one another. That'll be a glorious time. I'm looking for that. Now I want to take a text this morning to speak to you just for a few minutes now. Uh, I won't hold you no longer than I possibly can. I want to talk, I've got a few uh, scriptures and notes wrote here that I'd like to speak from for a few minutes on the subject of a door in a door. 
Now, this is a very unusual uh, setting that we see this morning in our Scripture reading. It's unusual in many ways because it's one of the most pathetic Scriptures that there is in the Bible, is this Scripture here. For it's speaking of this age that we're living in. It's speaking where in this age Jesus Christ has been put out of his own church and standing knocking at the door trying to get back in. And richness and pleasures of the world has drove him from the church until the church just becomes a lukewarm. It's a very pathetic picture. Of all the other churches in the church ages, I just got to going through them at my church and returning back now, beginning of the seventeenth to take the seven seals. And now, in this we find that all the other churches in the church ages had accepted, but the last church age, the Lady of Sia, Christ had been taken from the people. And they had put him out of the church, and he was trying to get back after being taken out knocking at the door, become blind, very unusual. But you know, sometimes it's unusual things that God appears in. God appears in the unusual because God is unusual. He does unusual things. He appears at unusual times, and He's seen at unusual times, and times you wouldn't think that you would He'd be there, yet he's there. Very unusual. He works in mysterious ways, the Bible said, his wonders to perform. Therefore, that makes him unusual. And that's why we get into a usual trend of things and we miss God. It's the unusual that brings God many times. The unusual thing, something we get so tied up into a certain creed or something that we're trying to serve, and then if everything doesn't come just according to the way we think it should, then we, we offset it. It's, it's, not, it's not of God. We make a mighty mistake. God shows himself and hides himself in the same thing that he shows himself in. See? He'll show himself in something and withdraw and hide himself, like the seed. He shows himself in a pretty flower, then he lets it rot. But he's hiding himself in order to come forth again. And God does it that way. He's very unusual. Unusual times, unusual ways, and sometimes little things. We, we, we fail to find God many times because we think it's too small. I was thinking on that a few minutes ago when we were talking about the smallness of the chapter. Or the, how a small or crowd we have. Now, it's been my privilege to speak to some great crowds. Bombay, India, I had 500,000 one meeting. Africa, South Africa, about uh, maybe 250,000 at one meeting. But where I found the sweetest and blessed of all was when we had a little cottage prayer meeting. God is in the unusual place and in the unusual things. Reminds me of being at this Canadian here was speaking a few moments ago about my fine friends from Canada. Uh, some time ago, the 
King George that I had the privilege of praying for, as you know, and had the multiple sclerosis of the Lord healing. And uh, he came to Canada uh, when he was suffering, yet with this uh, sclerosis. And he uh, was a gallant man. And all the schools turned out when he came down to Vancouver so that if they could go out and take their, give him a little a British flag and, and, uh, and wave uh, to honor the king, the crown, as he passed by. And a good friend of mine, uh, Brother Ern Baxter, as we were listening to it on the broadcast, as it came through him and his lovely queen sitting there. And we were sitting in the room, and I'll never forget it. Ern got so overcome that he jumped up out of the chair and threw his arms around me and started weeping. And I said, oh, what's the excitement all about, Brother Baxter? He said, Brother Abraham, that's my king. I thought, if it could make a Canadian feel that way to know his king was passing by, what ought it to do to a born-again church when Jesus starts by? There, yet with his multiple sclerosis set in his chariot, his automobile, and set up straight, though he was said he was suffering terrifically from ulcers and his back bothering him so bad. And the teachers turned all the little fellows out to go and wave these flags. and. After the, the parade was over, while the children were supposed to return to school, and as they returned in a certain school, all come back but one little girl. And the teacher got alarmed when she called the roll, and a little girl wasn't there. So she said, I must go find her, and, and took the children, and in the streets they went hunting for this certain little child. And after a while, the teacher herself found the little fella standing by the side of a telegraph pole, just crying her little heart out. And as she was weeping, and uh, the teacher said, What's the matter, honey? Said, uh, Did you not get to wave your flag at the king? She said, Yes, I wave my flag at the king. She said, Did you get to see the king? Yes, I, I, I saw the king. Well, said, Then what are you crying about? She said, you know, I'm so little, I saw the king, but he didn't see me. Now, that might be so with King George or any other king, but it isn't so with King Jesus. No matter how little a congregation he's given you to pastor, how small the work seems to be just to speak to the milkman or the newsboy, you'll see it. You can't do nothing for Jesus as he knows it. You must remember, he knows every little thing you do. And he'll give you all credit, for that's what you've been detailed to do. No matter how small it is, do it anyhow. If you want to wave your little flag, wave it. He's in that unusual thing. He might win a soul. I believe it was Dwight Moody. Or am I mistaken? It might not have been. An old sister had a burden on her heart that she wanted to win a soul to Christ. And she was a washwoman. It had been 150 years ago, I guess. And she uh, saved her money until she got $3 saved up. And she rented an old livery stable for a dollar. 
for the week, and she went out there and cleaned it out herself and took her wash bench and made a uh, altar and put a pulpit up and, and the suds still on the old wash bench and and she got some tracts and began to pass it out. That was the uh, early days here in America, and everybody would look at it, throw it down. She happened to be a Methodist, and so they would throw, throw it down. And the Methodists then were like Pentecostals has been, a bunch of fanatics. They lay in the schoolhouses and fall out under the power of God and pour water on their face. And don't tell me I've been right in the meeting. See, if they just let them alone instead of bringing them back, just let them go on. They'd have been Pentecostals, it seemed. But um, then this poor old woman passing out these tracts, and no, everybody would throw them on the street. And it was a, she was standing crying because they rejected her while she tried so hard to bring a minister to the city to have a revival. And the minister was to appear that night. She's going away, and there's a little old boy with his daddy's, uh, down the south, we call it galluses, you know, suspenders on. Ragged hair hanging down his neck, walked up and said, A hey lady, what are you giving away? And she said, It's a track, honey. She said, Well, he said, I can't read. He says, What does it say? And said, Well, we're going to have a meeting down at the old livery stable tonight. He said, Thank you. Can I have one? He said, Yes. And he put it in his pocket. When the meeting took place that night, you know who was there? The loyal old pastor. And the lady, that's all was at the meeting. The gallant old soldier, whether there was one or a thousand, he took his text, stood there and preached to the lady just as loyal as he would if he was preaching to ten thousand. Who staggered in the door along about the beginning of the sermon, but this little old ragged-haired boy. That night he found himself at the altar. If I'm not mistaken, that little Dwight Moody that sent a half a million souls to Christ. Oh, my. How many big meetings and flowerly things is going on? See, God's in the unusual thing. God appears unusual. You want to remember that. Now, I can't think of the artist that painted this picture of Jesus knocking at the door. It's some Greek artist. I just can't think of the man's name at the time. But he had spent practically a lifetime painting this picture. And you see, before it can be hung in the Hall of Fame, it has to go through the Hall of Critics first. Any great picture must do that. It must face the critics. Oh, I wish I had the, the something that it takes to throw that before this audience this morning. Do you realize, Pentecostal people, as we cool off, that God taking us through the Hall of Critics today? The church has to go through the Hall of Critics? Before it can go in the Hall of Fame as a bride? Sure, can you stand it? Are you ready to come up with the Scripture and stand gallant to your testimony in the love of Christ? Or are you taking back and going out with the world like the Bible said, demons forsaking me love in this present world? There's where the church is standing today, waiting in the balance, and that's the reason it becomes Lady of Sia. This picture, as the artist painted it, when it went to the Hall of Critics, they could find nothing wrong. And finally, a great critic came up and he said, There's one thing wrong with your picture. He said, It's true, Jesus with the lantern in his hand coming by night in the darkness of sin. That's a good picture. 
his expression with the expectations of somebody to come to the door when he's knocking. So that's wonderful. And the look upon his face as he is longing to hear from the inside. But, sir, there is no latch on the door. If he did come, how could Jesus get in? Because there's no latch on the door. Oh, said the artist, I painted it thus, for the latch is on the inside. Jesus cannot come in just by his will. It's got to be your will to let him in. Lo, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and come in, let me in, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. That's the picture we're looking at now. What does a man knock on a door for? What makes a man knock at a door? He's trying to gain entrance. He's trying to come in. There Maybe there's something he wants to talk to you about. Or maybe he wants to speak to you about some business or something. Or, or maybe he wants to give you something. There's some reason he wouldn't be knocking at the door. We'd only, the human decency would be only to open the door and see what the person wants. That's only just the human thing to do. Open the door. Ask the man, who are you? What do you want? He wants, maybe he wants to visit with you just to sit down and say, I'm your friend. I'd like to speak with you just a while this morning. Then sit down if he's a friend. Talk with him. If he's some person that wants something out of you, you could talk it over. You see, many great people has knocked at doors down through life. Now, a whole lot of it depends after you go to the door who it is knocking. You've got to know who that is doing the knocking. But you should at least go to the door. That's the only decent thing to do is find out who's there at the door. Go there, somebody's knocking, say, who is it? Open the door, who are you? What do you wish? Oh, many, many, uh, it might be some great person. What if it's a great person? It'd be a great honor to you if you opened the door for somebody that was a great person. What do you think would have happened a few years ago when Adolf Hitler was a fear of Germany? What do you think of a little fellow living down in the alley or down the street somewhere, if he heard a knock on the door some morning, you know, and he went to the door, and this little German footman standing there, and there stood Adolf Hitler standing at the door. Why, he was the greatest man in Germany at one time. See, certainly. Why, he was a great man. You know what that little footman would have done? He would have almost fainted. He would have stood at attention, throwed his German salute up, said, great fear of Germany, enter into my humble home. Anything here that you desire, anything that your servant can do, just let me know. I'll gladly do it. Oh, what an honor. You know what? Every newspaper in Germany would have packed that article. A great Adolf Hitler going down to a common soldier's house and knocked at the door and asked for something. That Hitler would ask the footman for something, would come to his home and, and honor his home. Well, what a great thing that would have been. What in the, if you'd been uh, uh, in Italy and um, in the days of Mussolini, and Mussolini was the uh, dictator of, uh, of, of Rome, of Italy, and what a 
some poor person down on the street would have heard a knock at the door some morning. There stood Mussolini at the door. Oh, my, their hearts would have quivered. Well, a, a great dictator, a great honored sir, entering into my home, quivering and shaking. What, what could I do? Is there anything here that, that you would desire? Is there something your servant could do for you? Oh, it would have been a great honor to any Roman to have had Mussolini at his house. Or what if the Queen of England today would come here into Tucson and land out here in an airport? It would come to one of our homes here. One of our, we're just common people. And if the Queen of England would come from England all the way across the sea, land out here at the airport, at the, at the airport, and would be brought in by a taxi cab and come and knock at your door, and you would Honorable lady or gentleman will walk to the door and say, how do you do? And there she stood there, just as an ordinary woman. And you'd say, how do you do? Who are you? I am the Queen of England. And would identify herself. Oh, my! What an honor! What a respect! Every newspaper through Tucson out to the United States. It'd be on national news that the great Queen of England come all the way to Tucson, Arizona and visit you, a poor person, the dignity it would add to the queen to humble herself to come to my door or your door. Well, you know what she would say? Though she's not, you're not under her domain, but yet she's a great person. She's the greatest queen in the world. When it comes to a national, she is the greatest national queen in the world. Well, you would have said, honorable queen, enter into my home. If there's anything here that you wish to take, anything you want to do, just make yourself welcome. Why, sure. And all the papers would have packed it. Or even this morning, if our president, Kennedy, would come to your door, or you might disagree with him of politics, but still, you would let him in. Why? Not because he's maybe just a man, but it's because who he is. Amen. He's the president of our United States. Yet we would, might disagree with him. I would in politics. But yet you, you'd be honored to have President Kennedy come to your door. What if he made a special trip to come to your door? Why, it would be on news everywhere. The humble uh, Mr. Kennedy, President of the United States, flew to Tucson, Arizona to come to John Doe's door. What a great honor it would be to him, and what an honor to you, why you would by no means turn him away. Certainly not. You would certainly receive him, because he's a great man. But who's any greater than Jesus? And he's turned away from more doors than all the dictators and kings and potentates of the world. Yes. I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in, and we'll sup with him. All oh, these little knocks that we get at the door. Many times Jesus knocks at our heart's door. That's where the church is today. Those little knocks, you feel it no doubt right now. What is it? It's Jesus trying to come in, gain entrance to your heart's door. He's got wants to talk with you a little while. 
And if you would honor the president, what about Jesus? If you would by no means turn away the president, how then could you turn away Jesus? The president's just a man. He's got to die. But Jesus is your God. He's your judge. Not only that, but the same one is your judge is now your Savior. Now, the president might want to summon you to irony. He might summon you to, to do something that would be horrible to do. He might summon you or take something from you, take your children or something to be his servants or something. He might do something like that. But Jesus don't want that. He wants to give you something. That's the reason he knocks. He's got something for you. There's nothing that could be greater than what he's wanting to give you. The Holy Spirit. He's wanting to give you eternal life. What if the president would say, I'll make, I come to take you and I have the authority to do so and make you the president of the United States? You have to give it up sometime. What if the queen wanted to make you queen of England and you wear the crown? You'd have to give it up. But Jesus gives us a crown of life that we never give up. Incorruptible crown of his glory. We don't have to give it up. He gives it to us. It's a blessing. It's the Holy Spirit that he wants to crown our life with. How could we be so indifferent to turn it away? What rational things that the church does? How rational can the people get to make such a, a mistake as to refuse to listen to that knock at the door? How, how insane it would be for any man or woman present this morning to get away from that knock. Eternal life. And we look and see the clouds of judgment forming. Do you hear signs say, it's three minutes till midnight? And practically two of those minutes are gone. That was several years ago. And we see the church scattered. We see everything going on the way it is. And denomination begin to come. Denomination, the cooling off. And revival days is almost seems to be over. We might as well face the truth. Oh, we have a lot of noise. Sure, beat the piano, jump up and down. Women bob off their hair and blue eyes and carry on and man let them do it. That's contrary to the scripture. Such a sickening sight as we even see on our streets today. I took my children yesterday want to go down to see the rodeo parade go by. My little kids, my father was a rider and I I've done a little riding. And it's just in them to like horses. And they wanted to see the horses. And when I stopped on the street, I got sick at my innermost being and turned back to see how people today, they're trying to live in the past, trying to live something that was. We're in a changing world. It's constantly changing. In my country, I'm a Kentuckian, you know, by birth. And that's where my people live there, practically. And they have the rental valley. They try to imitate hillbillies and, and burn uh, kerosene lamps and, and cook by, by wood stove and wear a clothing like the, 
the early frontiers war. They're, they're in a changing world trying to, to, to live in a, in, a, you're in a modern time trying to go back and live to something different that was. What makes a man do that? Because he's supposed to do that. But then you try to bring them a gospel that never changes. They don't want that. They want something modern and up-to-date. Somebody that'll pat them on the back and let them get by just for joining church and living any way they want to. But when it comes to really go back to the gospel, they don't want it. That very thing in them that hungers to go back is the gospel, and they try to satisfy with taking the natural things back and refusing the spiritual things. See how the devil vice versa the, the gospel to the people? No disregards to my sisters. But if in the early days a woman would have come through town like I seen some yesterday, with a pair of trousers on, how the lady ever got into them this looked like the skin is on the outside. I wondered how the woman got her foot in them. Walking down the street when the Bible said, She that will put on a garment that pertains to a man is an abomination in the sight of God. Amen. And with that blew all the back of her eyes, if she went through a frontier town, the old doctor would have put her in the hospital and quarantined the town of a disease that a woman cackered before she died. Trying. Right. Such a disease. And then if you try to go back and live something in, refuse enough of the old-fashioned gospel of the Holy Ghost, and like it was on the day of Pentecost with the same attributes that it had in it, to cleanse us and make us new creatures. We're living in the shadows, in the churches, in that lady of sea and age, rich, have need of nothing. Now, we Pentecostals can't holler too much at the Baptists and Methodists. Paul's pot can't call kettle black, you know. So we're done the same thing. That's right. And lo, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man... Now remember, the Bible said he was outside the church in this age trying to get in. Now you can't dispute God's word. He was trying to get in. Begging to come in. Any man will open the door and let in. Oh, I will come in. And sup with him. See, he's got something he wants to talk over with you, some business, or a plan of salvation he wants to speak to you. But maybe you become so creeded and so hard and different that you don't want to hear him talk. Right. Lo, I stand at the door. You say, oh, Brother Branham, now wait just a minute. I've already let him in. Well, maybe you did just that. But maybe that's all you did do. Just let him in. You see, many people don't, they fear the very thoughts of hell, and they know they're going there without Christ. And they say, well, I let him in, sure, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, but that might be just all you did. What if I come to your house and knock to the door? You said, step in, Brother Branham, I stepped in, but you stand right here. Don't you go to investing around and rooting around in my house. See? Now, do you know inside the door of the human heart, we got little secret compartments? Oh, we don't want to admit it, but it's the truth. Sure, we got little secret compartments. Yes, sir, we like to call it. We welcome in our heart. But we don't want to make him our Lord. 
We don't want to go to hell. So Jesus, you step in the door so I won't go to hell, but you can't be my Lord. Now, Lord is ownership. That means when you let him in as Lord, he controls everything. He's home. When I come to your house and I knock at the door, if you don't want me, say, get away from my door. I'd appreciate you more if you'd let me step in the door and say, now, don't go to rooting around. You're staying right there. Now, what do you want? Would I feel welcome? Could I explain my visit to you? Certainly not. And that's the way the church is today, friend. That's the way the people are getting. Come in, Lord, but now that, that's all. Tell me what you want. See? Oh, no. That's, that's where we get in trouble. We must welcome him. Lord, come into my house. If there's anything, if there's anything in here that you want, help yourself. I'm yours. You're mine. You honor me. The great king, the creator of heaven and earth, has knocked at my door, and I want you to come in. Lord, be my Lord. Take me, mail, do me anything you want to. Any bad thing that's in me, discover every secret that's in my heart. Go in every door. Search me out, Lord. See what's wrong with me. And whatever's wrong, show me, Lord. Throw it out the door. I want you in here. I welcome you in to be my Lord. I haven't got that blessing, Lord. Clean me now. If I can't make him my full Lord, I'll never open the door to him. He can't be Lord. I just don't want him to be Savior if he can't be Lord. If I, everybody wants a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. They want something that they can uh, escape all the damnation of hell, and then they can live any way they want to, do what they want to. You know, let's just walk around the building of the heart. Will you stand me another ten minutes? <laughs> Notice. Let's walk around the heart just a minute. The first thing, as you go into the human heart on the right side, as you go in... There's a little door there, and it's called my private life. <laughs> now, you don't want nobody fooling in that. Now, if I want to do anything, that's my business. I'll join church, and I'll go down there, but preacher, don't you tell me what i got to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I know the Bible says that, but I don't believe it. Oh, see? Then you think Jesus would ever stay in a heart like that? Certainly not. He comes in to be lost. He comes in. He that's a yeah, that, that private life. Oh, that's a great thing. Now you know we want our own private life. If we want a social drink with the neighbor, that's our business. If we women would want to cut our hair, that's what that's our own American privilege. If we want to wear shorts, that's our business. If we men want to take a sociable drink, and if we want to let our wife do that, she ain't got no business saying one word to us. But the gospel said, don't do it. Amen. Now, whose word's right? Amen. God's word's right. Amen. Oh, sure. We want, we want Jesus, certainly. We think we got him and all like that. But I wonder if that rapture could pass and we'd be left alone one day. And wonder where it's all at. They'd come by real secretly, you know. And that's what's coming like a thief in the night. You'll, 99 out of a, ever half a million, every million will never know the rapture takes place. It'll be gone, and they won't even know nothing about it. Jesus, Jesus said so. Amen. So that makes it right. <laughs> Certainly. It'll come like a thief in the night and be stole away. Like that book I read one time. What was that guy? Romeo, Juliet, or something like that. See? 
He come and got her at nighttime. That's the way Jesus do when the world's just lolling in sleep, like the Bible said, the lady of sin age. He'll slip in and get that bride. Then all of them is resurrected down through them ages. They've been down through the ages. They'll all go to heaven in the bride. And then the judgments will come. The church will say, well, wait a minute. I thought there was supposed to be a bride, a coming of the Lord and a bride. It's been gone for a long time. You knew nothing about it. It comes secretly. Why? We say, oh, I belong to the church. I'm Methodist. I'm Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. That don't mean one thing to God. No more than a doctor saying you got cancer. It's advanced stage. And that don't have to do with the disease. That's his name in it. The devil. Cancer. If you say that's a dove, that's a buzzard, that's a, some sort of a vulture, that, that, that ain't nothing to do what it is. See, they don't cure it, they don't kill it. It just says what it is. You say, you say I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a, only by profession, maybe. See, our, our lives speak so loud that our testimony is not even heard. Our lives are action, our morals among us. They're going to have a revival over here. Who's having it? The Baptists, ah, we'll have nothing to do with that. And maybe God's got a message there for us. Who's having it? The first assembly, the second assembly, or the, or the uh, Jesus' name, or the, or the uh, Church of God, or, or something. Oh, well, we, we, we're not in that group. We are brethren. There anybody to separate the heritage of God. They got the Holy Ghost like you got it. Done the same thing you did when you got it. Sure. But you see why I like this full gospel businessman? He gives an avenue that I can express these things. See? See? This is it. We are brethren. We are not divided. All one body are we. As the poet said, now, that little door of my own, uh, my own private life. That's uh, all right. I'll be a member of your church. I'll join the full gospel businessman. But now don't go to telling me I have to receive this Holy Ghost and carry on like that. That's that own private life. You'll never get the Lordship of Jesus doing that. He'll just turn right around and walk out the door. What would you do in a case like that? If somebody, if you went to a home and they said, stand here at the door, state your business, you'd say, thank you, turn out the door. So would Jesus, certainly. That's the reason the church is left set and cold. See, just the way it is. Don't let the full gospel businessman ever get in that stage. When you hear a message and hear it up, open up and say, Lord, what is this all about? When you see a man, we have a lot of impersonators. But when you see a genuine, what does an impersonator mean? What does a bogus dollar mean when you pick up a dollar that's bogus? It means it was made off of a real one. There's got to be a real one to make that a bogus. So there is a real Holy Spirit. Real power of salvation. A real God of love. Yes. Don't take nothing less. No, sir. Don't do it. All right. That private door. I'll have to hurry through these doors. There's a little door of pride, too. Oh, my. That's a bad one. We better not stay at that door too long. But you want to stand in that own door and say, Now, don't you go to telling me nothing. <laughs> well, I have my own pride. <laughs> Certainly. But you shouldn't do it. I preached here not long ago on the lamb and dove. And the lamb. You see, a lamb, do- a sheep doesn't produce but one thing, that's wool. That's what he produces. And he forfeits his rights. 
You can take a sheep and throw him up and put the, 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 the shank hold on him like that and shear him all over. He'll just lay there. He forfeits his rights. After all, he growed the wool. It belongs to him. But he forfeits it. When you tell a man he's got to be born again, he's got to be cleaned up from a life of sin. He, he's got to quit his lying, stealing, cheating, and, and proselyting and carry on. Boy, some of them blow up like a balloon. Now, see, that's a goat. See? He'll kick up a storm, but a real lamb will forfeit the right. I said to our ladies one time about, not as it got against the ladies. They're our sisters. But I'm zealous of this church. When I see the world and it's like Sodom coming into it, then I have to cry out against it. There's something inside that my heart bleeds in a cry out. Don't fashion after Marilyn Monroe or some of these women there. You're like Sarah in the Bible. Don't try to be Mr. Some something another run over the platform and carry on and try to dress like some band box and stop and carry don't we got too much Hollywood showmanism in Pentecost. Amen. Right. We need the Holy Ghost. Now, you might not love me. You might not want me back again. But this is an opportunity to speak truth. And this is truth. Try it. Find out if it's not so. Some lady said, it's my own American privilege. I said, but she'll forfeit that. Some time ago, a wife and I were going to the grocery in Indiana, and we seen a strange thing a lady had on a skirt. It was very odd. She said, honey, don't let them people sing in choirs. Yeah. Well, why? I said, well, you see, honey, they're, they're not of our kingdom. She said, I said, of our kingdom. I said, no. I've been a missionary many times around the world. I find I go into Germany, I find a German spirit. I go into Finland, there's a different spirit. I go into Australia, there's another spirit. Now come to America, there's another spirit. It's a national spirit, and all of them are of the devil. Amen. Jesus said so. The kingdom of this world is the devil. He controls every one of them. Now Jesus said so. So you see, it's that national spirit. Well, she said, aren't we Americans? I said, no, sir. Potentially we are. I said, what are you? I said, well, should we do as Americans? I said, no, not this drunken, brawling, disgraceful group. No, sir, we are born of a heavenly spirit. We come from a pure, unadulterated, holiness, where angels and righteousness is before God. I said, we live here as a nation, sure. That's right, this is our nation, what we're here trying. But our thy kingdom come, thine will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, when we are born of above and all the sin is moved from across the chasm, it's the Spirit of God that comes in, the Creator, into our heart, and He conducts our character. We don't lie, steal, cheat, honest, upright, walk like citizens of heaven. For we are that if we are born of the Spirit of God. And so many of us get confused and, and just use little isms and sensations and things and call that the Spirit of God. That's the reason we're so scrupled up as we are today. The whole church system is terrible. And in spite of all that, Jesus still stands at the door. Put out, but yet one more door I'd like to open. The door of faith. Then I'll close you. Just about a dozen I got wrote down here, but I'm going to skip them. The door of faith. You say, would you come down to the full gospel business, man? The what? 
the full gospel. That's against my faith. There's only one faith. Right. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. That's right. Well, that's against my faith. Maybe you don't want Jesus to stand in that door of your faith. You've got your faith built in some creed of some church, some denomination. And that's where your faith is closed up to itself in a room, and you wouldn't let Jesus come, which is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, said St. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He is the eternal Word. And you, your faith, it, it says that the days of miracles is past, and there is no such a thing as speaking with tongues and prophesying and this nonsense that the church of the Pentecostals carry on today. There's no such a thing as that. Maybe you let some creed hold back in the door of your faith if you'd open that door and let the Word of God come in to be your Lord. I don't care what the creed says. If the Bible says so, you're my Lord. You must be born again. And when you're born again, then you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. No matter what creed, what is, nothing about it. You say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil believes the same thing. You've got to be born again. Everybody's afraid of that new birth. Oh, I know you call yourself that you got new birth. But I think our lies sometimes speak so loud that our testimony can't be heard. A birth is a mess. I don't care where it's at. Excuse this expression. But if a birth is in a pig pen, it's a mess. If it's in a cow barn, it's a mess. If it's in a hospital room, it's a mess. If it's at the altar, it's a mess. It'll make you rot in your own thinking. It'll make you throw away everything that's... The things that you once cherished with all your heart, you'll give it up to let that little still knock. I don't care if it's a mission on the corner. We people out here believe in big things. We Americans. We want big hats and and big uh, automobiles and big denominations, more in the creed and more in the denomination. All we want is big things. And God's after small, still voice. A lot of racket and noise is what we want. Farmer took a wagon one time, went out in the field, and when he did, it bumped and rattled and made a lot of noise. When it come back, it crossed the same bumps and never even moved. It was loaded with good things. We want to create our denomination is the biggest. We got this. Glory to God, we beat this bunch over here. We beat this bunch over here in paying money and giving stars and everything else. So who will bring in the most to the church? Nothing against that. That's all right. But here's what I'm trying to say. That's not it yet. That's all right. Get people in church, yes. But Jesus said, when a man went out and proselyted and brought him one and said, what did he become? A twofold child more hell than he was when he started. Amen. We hear on the Billy Graham programs with nothing to say. He says, great advancement. Certainly not. He's a man of God and God's using him. But where's he at? Down in Sodom. You remember the type? There was two angels went out in Sodom. A type that Jesus said would be the same thing at his coming. But one stayed with Abraham, the elected church, called out. Watch what both angels done, then you got the message. Isn't it a strange thing? Of those two messengers, exactly what God said in the last days, there's never been a man out there in that field. Of all the days of Moody, Sankey, Finney, Knox, Calvin, all the way down, there's never been a one that had a name ending with H-A-M. G-R-A-H-A-M till this day. 
Did the messenger to the church form him? Father of nations. Now the church spiritual was not in there in the beginning. Pentecostal type. What's that messenger come to that church? He sat and talked to Abraham. He said, where is your wife Sarah? And called him Abraham, which his name was Abram. He said, where is your wife Sarah? Her name was S-A-R-R-A, and that's S-A-R-A-H. He called S-A-R-A-H. said, she's in the tent behind you, behind you. He said, I, personal pronoun, I'm going to visit you according to the time of life. And Sarah, he said, why did Sarah laugh when I said that? Why would it be? We've got to have a spirit like that visit the church. A spirit of prophetic, a spirit of discernment. And when it comes in, the people refuse it. Why? It's a lady of sin. We're so documented with creeds and things so we can't accept it. Right. I stand at the door and knock. Any man hears my voice. All my faith don't accept the, uh, uh, those things. Then you've got the wrong faith. The faith, you know, the real genuine faith of God will punctuate every promise of God with an amen. A genuine Holy Spirit. Because what? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. It says so, man of old moved by the Holy Ghost wrote the Bible. Then how could the Holy Spirit be in you and deny it? He can't do it. Forms of godliness, the prophet said, and would deny the power thereof to liberate men and women from sin and things of the world. God have mercy on oh, oh, some religious faith that you have that denies the Word of God, get away from it. Let God's Word be right. Yes, sir. Notice. He said, Knowest thou not that thou art naked, miserable, poor, wretched, and blind? And don't know it. That's the miserable part. Now we're going to close. I want you to get this. Don't know it. Now, if you've seen a man coming down here at the main street, Stone Street, or some of these main streets, and that man was so poor he didn't have any clothes, and he was miserable, wretched, and no clothes on, naked, or a woman, completely nude and blind, and didn't know it. Now, if she knew it or he knew it, they'd try to find somewhere to get in and get some clothes. But when they don't know it, and then you go try to tell them, say, mind your own business. Now, that's exactly what Jesus Christ said that the Pentecostal church would be in the last days. Lukewarm. It would be rich. We're about as rich as any of them. Used to be when we was down in the mission, we had salvation. Now we've got up with the big ranks like this and more numbers and great fine things. And where are we at? Just like the rest of them. And Jesus said so. But in the midst of all that, he continues to know if any man, individual, will hear my voice and will open the door. I'll come in and I'll sup with him. And he with me. That's where we get naked, blind. Blind. Actually blind. Spiritually blind. You couldn't tell him nothing. You know, we was raised awful poor down in Kentucky. My grandfather was a hunter. And a, a well, well-known hunter. And he used to coon hunt. I don't know where you people out here, not enough water in Arizona to have coons, I guess. But they, um, they have a, a, down there they had a coons. They hunted coons. How many knows what a coon hunter is? 
Well, look at the Kentuckians in here. All right, well, I feel like I could take off my coat now and preach a little while. I was kind of bound up a little, but I feel pretty good now. How many know what a straw kick is? Mm-hmm. Well, Tony, thank you. I got back home at last. <laughs> yes, that's fine. My cornbread hominy grits, my black-eyed peas and turnip greens. Did you ever eat any? Oh, my. Now, nah, we're fine now. <laughs> yes, sir. That's good. And Grandpa used to catch coons, and he would render the fat off of them and what they had... A little can, we used to keep it, a little bacon powder can. Mom had one she cut biscuits with, with a bacon powder can. And she'd make them very big biscuits. You could pick up the top and the bottom and drop off and put sorghum molasses in there, a hunk of homemade butter. It's really good. You go good right now. And I kind of got skipped up on my molasses this morning. So, you know, uh, something like that would really go good. And uh, uh, Mama used to take this coon grease, and it, it was a cure-all at our house. That and barbed wire liniment. And she, we get a cut that pour that old barbed wire liniment in. It's a turpentine. And then when we get something wrong, we take coon grease. And we had one little room, and there's a, a loft. We had to go up a, a stairs like this, a banisters made out of saplings. And us kids would sleep up there on a straw tick. And then uh, above the straw tick was a feather bed, feather tick. And then you know, the clapboard shingles was put on in the light of the moon, and so it would make a hole, and, and the snow would blow through, so she'd put a piece of canvas over the top of us to keep the snow from getting in our faces at night, this bunch of little brands. And we'd be two at the foot and two in the head and two in the middle. We just had all kinds of ways of sleeping, watering there like little pigs, and kept one another warm. Once in a while, one of us would get out from under that canvas when the cold wind was blowing, and we'd get a cold, and uh, we'd get it in our eyes, and you know that sticky stuff gets you out, Mama called it matter. They'd get matter in your eyes. Well, I'd wake up in the morning and Mom would say, Billy, come on down. Time to go to school. And I'd say, Mom, I got matter in my eyes. I can't see. Humpy, my brother, he'd wake up. Edward was his name and we called him Humpy just for fun. And he'd say, I got matter in my eyes. I hear the old coon grease can hit the stove. She'd get it all thawed out. And Mama would come up the steps and she'd rub in the sod Joe's eyes and believe it or not, the matter would go out. The coon grease was a cure-all for matter eyes. Now I tell you, there's come a cold spell across the church. And coon grease will never work. But Jesus said, I counsel of you to buy eyes the Holy Spirit. You've got becoming so blind, the church is, until it, it can't see God. It only sees its organization. Amen. It only sees that what it can see in front of us, it never looks out yonder to the soon coming of the Lord. Coon grease will never do that any good. But the, but the salve of the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. And you can realize that the presence of Jesus Christ, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He is God. And he can salve your eyes with his Holy Spirit. You'll forget whether you're a Methodist, Baptist, or a Oneness, or a Twoness, or a Threeness, or a Church of God, or a Nazarene, or a Pilgrim Holiness. You'll be a Christian born again of the kingdom of God. You'll be something. You won't have to try to say, well, I must do this. There's something in you that propels you to do it. The compulsion in your heart swings you to
a prayer. Love divine flows into your uttermost beings until you take that still prayer meetings just flows from you. Like the water from an artesian well. I used to pass when I was game warden for several years. I'd pass by a big old spring and it would be bubbling up like that. I, I sat down in that spring one day and I said, what are you so happy about? Oh, the water was delicious. And I, I, I'd take a drink of water and I said, what are you so happy about? Are you happy because it's rabbits drink from you? If he could talk, he'd say no. Because deers drink from you? No. Because I drink from you? No. Why are you so happy? What makes you bubble like that? If he could have spoke, he'd have said, it's not me bubbling, Brother Brandon. It's something behind me pushing me, making me bubble constantly. We drive ourselves to do things. But when the Holy Spirit is in there, by divine love we do it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, said Paul. Sure. Now, let his salve anointing come to your eyes and close me. I don't mean to hold you all here till you get so tired. Being my first time or second time with you, forgive me if I went too long. Let me close them and sing this. Down in the south, we had an old Pentecostal colored brother down there that he was really a real servant of Christ. There's a certain old Negro sister that came to the church and she was filled with the Holy Ghost and such a great character she was. And she had a husband. He was a good old fella. His name was, they called him Gabriel. We just called him Gabe for short. And so we could never get him to line up at the church. He, he just didn't want to come to church. He said that, oh, the boys down around the pool room where he hung out said that's a bunch of holy rollers. And uh, not, nothing to him. And the only thing Gabe had to do was on Sunday morning get his pool cue and go down to the pool room or something and grow around the boys. But his wife was a real devout saint. And she'd go to the church and she'd pray and have the pastor and all to pray for Gabe because it really down his heart he was a good man. And he'd run a little business down there, a little on the corner, a little shoe shine business and shine shoes and get enough money to play pool while he went to play pool. So he just didn't want to line up with the gospel. And the pastor, old Gabe, liked to hunt a lot. So the pastor was a hunter, too, so he'd take Gabe and go hunting. So one day, after all days tramping through the, the wilderness and the sloughs, he was on the road home that afternoon, and, and they had so much game they could just barely tote it. They had the rabbits and the birds all over them going along. And, they come around an old familiar path as they come up, come up top of the hill and they went down into the little city down there. It was on Saturday and the sun was going down and the pastor had to look around. He hadn't heard old Gabe say nothing for quite a while. And he watched around and Gabe was looking over his shoulders towards the, the sun setting as it was going across the western horizon. And the pastor looked back and he noticed Gabe wasn't saying nothing but looking back as he walked. And so the pastor walked on for a few minutes, and after a while, a big black hand laid on his shoulder. And when he turned in surprise, old Gabe was looking him in the face with tears running down his cheeks, dripping off like his. He says, Pastor, in the morning, you's going to find me right up there at that mourner's bench. 
So then I was coming right back from there and take a seat by the side of my faithful wife. And then I was going to remain in that church until God calls me home. And the pastor, of course, turned around in amazement. He said, Gabe, I wanted and waited and longed and prayed for years for this. He said, Gabe, is it settled? He said, yes, pastor, it's settled, but I want that Holy Ghost too. And I was coming up the morning, it's in the morning, and I was going to get it, or I was going to die right there. He said, Gabe, I appreciate this. He said, but I want to ask you something, Gabe. What sermon did I preach that, that inspired you to do this? I'd like to know what sermon I preached, what I preached on. Or what hymn did the choir sing that, that inspired you to make this great decision, Gabe? And the old Negro looked at the pastor and he said, Pastor, he said, I sure appreciate every sermon you preached. He said, I appreciate everything that you said, Pastor. He said, and I appreciate every fine hymn the choir sang. But said, Pastor, it wasn't that. He said, you know, I was looking at that sun going down yonder. Did you know that mine, your son, too, is going down? The light of our body is leaving. And that's true. It's true here this morning, man. The sun's setting, setting in your life and in mine. And it's setting on time in civilization. She's finished. And he stands at the door, knocking, long waiting, that little knock, something down in your heart that says, it's I, open up now. That's him. Gabe had listened to that. And he turned around. He said another thing. Pastor, he said, you know I'm a bad shot. He said, I couldn't hit nothing. You know I couldn't. It's just looking here to gain enough to last me and my wife all next week. He said, you know, I can't hit nothing. But said, he gave it to me. He said, I just happened to think he must love me or he wouldn't be so good to me. Did you ever realize that? In India today, the little children are low laying on the street. Their little bellies swelled up. Their little gums down like this, starving to death. The little mother begging to take this one. And there's thousands of more. Of an afternoon, they come by and pick up in the stretchers and things and take them to the salamander and throw them in. There's no John 14. Eat anything, grass from the ground, bark from the tree or anything that they can do the way you rake off enough in our garbage cans to feed them. We sat here this morning paying about a dollar and a half for a, a little bit of food here and we got good clothes. We drive a nice automobile. We live in a nice home. You businessmen here, your businesses are flushing as I hear you testify. God's good to you. Can't you realize that? Why? He loves you. You know that? And that's the reason that knock comes. I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Now, that still little voice that knocks at your heart's door, it might knock so many times that it may be very faint right now. But let's just be honest. Just honest with God and ourselves for just one minute. That little knock way down there that said, I better curb my ways. I better be different. I better straighten up. I know there's things in me. I'm looking around, examine my life of this word, and I see I'm wrong. Many things. Look around and see how good it is. It's his goodness that knocks at the door. 
No matter what we've done, how much we sin, how much we turn it away, how much we said later on we'll do it, he's still in the midst of all of that knocking. And if any man or woman will just open your heart, I'll come in. And so, let's see what he wants this morning, will you? While we bow our heads. Oh, my Jesus, I love thee. I love thee. All for grace to love you more, Lord. What is that little something keeps telling me in my heart? That I must come a little closer to Jesus. What is that? Do you want to open the door to that this morning? Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Down in your heart, be real honest. Just one minute. You have such a little knock at your door. I'm going to pray just a moment. And sincerely, you'd like to know what that little mysterious something in your life is that you'd like to let in. Would you want him to come in this morning and say, Brother Brown, pray that I'll have the faith and grace just to open my heart and let him come in. I don't know what this is knocking at my door. I know there's something knocking there. Maybe it's a closer walk. Maybe it's a different ministry. Maybe it's to surrender myself. Maybe it's to receive the Holy Spirit. Would you raise up your hand to God and say, Here I am, Lord. God bless you. That's it. I have a little knocking at my heart's door. I guess 60 or 70 percent of the people with our heads bowed now, our Heavenly Father, there is a fountain, as the poet said, that's filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, where sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stain. That dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Now, Father, we're grateful for these people, and some of them may, no doubt, has professed Christianity a long time, but they've got the, the real mm-hmm. conviction enough to raise their hands. What, Lord, if they didn't even have the conviction to raise their hands, then they're a past redemption. Think of that place that a wandering soul could wander out into darkness and miserably blind and doesn't know it. And they hear the knock of God and grieve it so many times until finally it never knocks again. And they pick up a creed or something and live by the rest of their days to find themselves disappointed at that day of the judgment. I'm grateful, Lord, for these people who would raise their hands and say, Be merciful to me, Lord. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And reveal yourself to me today. And I'll give you my life. Here am I. If there's anything in me that's not right, Lord. And I'll look at my own life and i see that there is plenty that's wrong. Then take me into your great moldy house and, and mold me. And take from me all that's worldly and ungodly. And I thank you, Lord, that I haven't got to the place that I've crossed that line that can, where you cross and can never return again. Grieve the Spirit of God the last time, and now there's no way at all back like Judas is the carrot and them. Sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver, and we do today for popularity and take cares of the world and religious organizations and denominations and creeds. We just sell him for anything. Oh, Lord, have mercy to honest hearts. I plead for those, Lord, oh, with all that's in me, I ask for divine mercy 
and hear me, Lord, hear me, and may this great desire with faith to know that it's God that spoke to their hearts. It's God that does these things. And may the heart's door come open just now and Jesus walk in and become Lord of the situation, taking all the world out and making them new creatures in Christ Jesus. Heal those that are sick, Lord, perceiving that there is so much suffering. I pray for them, Father, that now the great physician will touch their physical being also and make it his home, his dwelling place, where he can reach forth his hands just as a call, the little light call of the heart, and the great physician is on the job. Grant it, Lord. Hear us today. Bless all that's present. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Now, with our heads bowed real humbly, softly, let's sing this old hymn of the church. I love him. I love him because he first loved me. And believe now that what you have asked at that little still knock that was at your heart, Jesus will come in now. Quietly as we sing it,
When you pray, believe that you receive what you ask for, and it shall be given unto you. Do you believe it? Say amen. amen. I believe that I receive that what I've asked for. I've consecrated my life to Jesus Christ, and from this day henceforth, I really mean it, God. I'll walk before you until it becomes such a reality that I'm hid altogether in Christ Jesus. Now, as a song leader here, let's start that gracious old hymn. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. What if the sister on the piano would give us that key? How many knows the hymn? Right? Now, let's sing that to the top of our voice. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary. All together now. My faith looks up to thee. Amen. Mm -hmm. 